open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, as we look into this book written by many different authors, but ultimately inspired by the one whose love never fails, who communicates and reaches out to us in love through this book and in many other ways as well. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20, which is on page 825 um, in most of the seat Bibles. When I was a kid, I loved baseball. My grandpa lived in Queens. He was a huge Yankees fan. And even though I grew up in Pennsylvania in Phillies country, and those were good days for the Phillies back then, but my grandpa made sure that nevertheless, I grew up a Yankees fan. My favorite players were Craig Nettles and Reggie Jackson. Nettles had this amazing glove at third base. I used to draw pictures of him diving for balls. And of course, Reggie was the home run hero, right? I can still picture his towering shots down the right field line into the upper deck at the old Yankee Stadium. Now, here's the thing. As a kid, I could never play baseball like that. I couldn't catch half of the screaming line drives that Nettles caught, and compared to Reggie, I could barely hit the ball out of the infield. And so I could have just hung up my glove in defeat and said, I'm no baseball player. I guess I'll just sit in front of the TV and be a fan. But that's not what I did. Instead, I joined Little League and tried my best to be the best player that I could be at the level that I could play at. Rather than letting my heroes discourage me, I let them motivate me as, as I imitated them and I learned to play uh, more like them, which makes sense, right? Well, let me ask you, in your spiritual life, what's your response when you see a spiritual superstar like the Apostle Paul? When you see him trek around the world of his day, city to city, telling people about Jesus and starting churches and writing these amazing letters out of his deep relationship with God. When you see Paul's great faith, when you see his bold leadership, his courage, even in the face of suffering, do you think, I could never be that kind of Christian, so I won't try. I'll just sit in church and be a fan. I'll watch the pastors, the, the professional Christians, try to live up to the Apostle Paul. Good luck. I'll cheer for them, but not me. I'm just a fan. Now, to bring this home, let me shift the analogy to the game that Paul's actually playing. It's not baseball, of course. What is it? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that it's spiritual parenting. The Apostle Paul, who, who wrote Galatians, which we're looking at together, is a spiritual parent. He's uh, helping people to come to new spiritual birth as brand new baby followers of Jesus. And, and then he's helping them to grow up and mature in their faith, in their relationship with God. And so Paul parents them, he, he loves them, he guides them, at times he disciplines them until they're mature enough that they can turn around and do the same for others. So how do we respond to, to Paul's example? No way, I could never be a spiritual parent. I have no idea how, and the responsibility terrifies me. I'll just forever be a child and let other par others parent me. Or do we say, well, I may not be an Apostle Paul, but I can learn to be a spiritual parent. It may be Little League stuff, but I'm getting in the game. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm improving. 
And as I grow, I've, I've got something to share with those coming up behind me to, to parent them and to help them grow up too. As I look out on this room this morning, I see a number of you who are spiritual parents. And I see many others who certainly have the ability to get in the game as well. Today's passage is about spiritual parenting. It, it shows us Paul's example of how he parents. And, and what I'm getting at as, as we look at today's text is that this isn't just a passage for professional Christian leaders. That this is a passage for all of us as we learn to be spiritual parents too. And so I want to invite you as you listen to this passage that, that this is for you. As we see here what good spiritual parenting looks like and what bad spiritual parenting looks like as well. Let me start uh, by taking a look together at what is going on here in this passage. Uh, Paul's taking a break here from the heavy theology that he was laying out in chapters 2 and 3, which you, we've been through if you've been here in the past weeks. And, and now Paul is getting really personal, appealing to the Galatians that he's writing to. He reminds them of, of the story of what had gone on between him and them prior to this letter that he's writing. And as Paul does this, we get some valuable insights into how Paul parents. Here we learn that when Paul had met the Galatians, they had been enslaved. Paul had talked up in verse 3, we saw last week, about their being enslaved by the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And now in verse 9, he calls these same enslaving forces weak and miserable forces. And there's a lot of speculation about what these elemental forces or principles, some translations say, what they are. But just to cut to the chase, in verse 3, they have to do with the idols and the false gods that, that the pagan Galatians used to worship. Paul says that they were enslaving to them. And Alan Hirsch explains why. He, he describes the gods and spirits of pagan religion uh, for those of us who have little exposure to that sort of culture. And he says, let's say you wanted to draw water down at the river. The trip would take you past the fields on which you depended, past the forest, and down to the river. The religious dilemma that you would face in such a seemingly simple activity is that because there were different uh, divinities ruling each of these aspects of life, this was no easy thing, this trip to the river. It was fraught with spiritual danger. In order not to offend the God of the field that you would pass along the way, you would need to take a sacrificial offering and perform a religious ritual at the shrine of the field. Then you would have to pass that old foreboding tree in the forest. Imposing trees were often thought to contain nasty spirits called dryads, so you would have to be sure not to stir the dryad. Once again, your belief system would inform you that if the river goddess was offended, the river might dry up or flood, either way causing catastrophe and suffering in an agrarian culture. So once you reached the river, the goddess of the river, a particularly unpredictable deity, would also have to be placated with a sacrifice. Thus, the simple action of going to the river was actually quite a religiously complex process. That's something like the, the life that Paul is referring to when he says to the Galatians, before you knew Jesus, you were enslaved by the elemental spiritual forces. 
But that all changed, Paul reminds the Galatians, when I arrived and I introduced you all to Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, the Lord over every other spiritual force. Once you welcomed Jesus into your lives, Paul reminds them, you no longer had anything to fear from other forces or spirits because you came to realize that many did not actually exist. They were nothing but pagan superstitions, and the ones that did exist had been conquered by Christ. Christ was Lord over them, and so once Christ was your Lord, you no longer had to fear them. You Galatians were set free. So, How had this liberation, this deliverance come about for the Galatians? Well, Paul recounts, he says that he first preached the good news about Jesus to the Galatians as a result of his serious illness. And it seems that it may have had to do with Paul's eyes. When Paul was in Galatia, he was likely suffering from some debilitating eye disease. He was helpless. He was in need. And evidently, some of the Galatians had taken this needy traveler in. They'd offered care and aid to Paul. They'd extended hospitality. Paul says in verse 14, Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Rather, Paul adds in verse 15, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So great, so genuine was the Galatians' concern and affection for Paul. Why? Presumably because they were overwhelmingly grateful. Because somewhere in this process, Paul had told them about Jesus. Paul had showed them the way out of their slavery to the elemental spiritual forces. Paul had introduced them to a Lord who would set them free, who would transform their lives, giving them hope and power and life. Along with this, we learn in chapter 3 that Paul had, or Jesus had enabled Paul to do miracles for the Galatians, to make their freedom and transformation a reality. And also, they had experienced the wonderful, powerful coming of God's own spirit, God's own powerful presence among them. And all of this had changed the Galatians' lives, and and they were so thankful that they treated Paul like an angelic messenger from God, he says, like Jesus Christ himself. Wouldn't Wouldn't you have liked to know what it would have been like to be there, to see and experience all of that? Wow. But since then, Paul realizes things had turned sour. As you know, if you've been following the story of Galatians over the past weeks, after Paul left Galatia, some other Christian teachers had come there from Jerusalem. And these teachers had criticized Paul. They had cast doubt about his message. They'd said, hey, wait a minute. You Galatians are pagans. You're Gentiles. And the Jesus that Paul told you about is a Jew like us. It's the Jews who are the people of the true God. If you want the good things Jesus has to offer, you have to become Jews too. You have to convert to a Jewish way of life. Your men need to get circumcised. Then all of you start keeping the Jewish law. Jews keep kosher. They don't eat pork. They keep the Sabbath. They observe other religious festivals. Paul didn't tell you all that? How irresponsible of him. See, here's the problem with Paul, they said. He's a people pleaser. Paul tells people what they want to hear rather than the truth. Paul disrespects God by ignoring God's commands, God's standards. And the Galatians, they'd bought all this from these teachers from Jerusalem. 
they distanced themselves from Paul. They'd, they'd drawn close to these other teachers, and they'd started going along with what these Jerusalem teachers were teaching them. Paul says they'd begun observing days and months and seasons and years, presumably the Jewish calendar of Sabbaths and other festivals. And Paul, as, as he hears of all this, and as he writes this letter to the Galatians in response, he's just completely angry. This came through strongly in, in the first couple chapters of the letter. If you remember, Paul said, let anyone who's preaching another gospel than the one we preached be under God's curse. And he'd call the Galatians fools. And he'd said that they'd been bewitched. But, but now, as, as Paul continues to write this letter, Paul changes his tone. But because Paul's not really angry at the Galatians in a negative way. It, far from it. Paul's so angry because he loves them so much. He's so grateful for all that they did for him. He's so upset that they've turned against him and, and that they're going to suffer as a result. After all, all Paul did was offer them the truth. He considers them like his own spiritual children. And, and now he's hurting to see them confused and to see them wandering astray back into a new slavery. And so Paul says he's perplexed about them. He's all torn up inside. He wishes he could be with them to change his tone, to, to not be angry, to not have to rebuke them, but, but to work things through and be reconciled with them so that they and, and he could be on the same page again, so that they can enjoy a, a warm and a rich relationship. And in the meantime, Paul says, this feels like childbirth. It's, it's hard. It's, it's painful. Paul's yearning. He's longing for Christ to be formed in these spiritual children. But they're going another direction. Instead of growing in their faith in Christ, they're pursuing a lot of religious rules, trying to get to God that way. And so this passage teaches us a lot about spiritual parenting. In it, we see the heart of a spiritual parent. And it's not easy being a parent, right? <laughs> Especially when the kids grow up a bit and they start listening to other influences and pulling away from mom and dad. The first thing that strikes me here is that, that a true spiritual parent has to have the heart of God, the, the heart of Jesus for those they parent. We're to be a, a spiritual parent not because we're on a power trip, but because God reaches out in love to people, wanting to have them as God's children. And, and we, as a spiritual parent, let ourselves be used by Jesus to represent Jesus for that purpose. The Galatians originally received Paul this way as, as one who represented Jesus' heart. As if Paul were an angelic messenger straight from God, as if he were Jesus Christ himself. And now the Galatians are turning away from Paul because they're turning away from Jesus. Because Paul's only purpose is God's purpose. It's that God's son, Jesus Christ, be formed in the Galatians. And, and Paul's approach, his pattern, is Jesus' pattern, too. Paul has the heart of Jesus as he parents so let's get practical now and, and see what we can learn from Paul about spiritual parenting. What we can learn about Paul's purpose and what we can learn about Paul's pattern. And in both, we'll, we'll see how aligned Paul is with Jesus. How his purpose is Christ's purpose. And his pattern is Christ's pattern. Paul has a clear focus on the gospel 
about Jesus. Paul's got a deep hold of the gospel. He's deeply rooted in it. And so, so it comes out in the way that he parents. May this become true of us as well. So first, the purpose of spiritual parenting. Paul lays it out in verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The purpose of of spiritual parenting is that Christ be formed in people. That Jesus be held up in their hearts as the most important person. As the most wonderful person as the most worthy, the most deserving of their attention and their allegiance and their worship and their devotion and their admiration. The the purpose of spiritual parenting is is that they, they trust Christ more deeply, that they know him more intimately, that they follow him more faithfully, that they come to prioritize Christ above all and to pattern their lives after Jesus. Paul's purpose, God's purpose is that His spiritual children come to imitate, to reflect God's son, Jesus Christ. That they become little Christs. That they become spiritual brothers and sisters, children of God, who look a lot, who act a lot like their big brother, Jesus. That's the purpose of spiritual parenting. And how different that is from the religion of the Jerusalem teachers. What was the effect of their ministry? Well, It was to enslave. It was to saddle the Galatians down with laws and religious rules, to force these Gentile Galatians to conform to a a whole culture that they were unfamiliar with so that they would look and act more like Jews, more like the Jerusalem teachers. Do this, do that, act like us, behave like us, then you'll be acceptable to us. And Paul says that this only leads back to spiritual enslavement. It's interesting that Paul describes the the spiritual enslavement that this legalistic approach brings the same way that he describes the enslavement that the Galatians had experienced under the pagan gods. In verse 9, Paul calls the laws of the Old Testament weak and miserable forces. This is the same word in the original language he used to describe the pagan gods. Now, Paul will say elsewhere that the law is good, but somehow the way that the Jerusalem teachers are going about putting it forward to the Galatians, it has become weak and miserable forces that enslave. Because all religion is the same when it's based on what you have to do to earn God's favor. Whether it's the pagan gods or or the true God of the Jews, either way, if it's all about what you have to do to pay your own way, to, to clean yourself up enough to be acceptable to God, then it becomes enslaving. And there's a subtle temptation when when you're helping others to grow in God um, and to know God that that you get on a power trip and you like the control and you like the power over other people that it gives you when you start teaching them about God and God's ways. And so you're tempted to use God as the heavy, to to make people fear God, to make people feel guilty, to to make them obey your teaching about God or, or to come to you as a mediator between them and God. But Paul says, no, Jesus offers freedom. And and a true spiritual parent only wants people to be free, to grow up, to be more like Jesus. Another temptation in spiritual parenting besides power is, is that you make people your projects. Paul says of the Jerusalem teachers, these people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. 
What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. The Jerusalem teachers are looking for fans. They're looking for, for groupies, for converts, and for followers. And that's a really common and powerful temptation for spiritual parents. To find our identity in, in how many followers we have and in how committed they are to our agenda and whether they behave so we can feel good about ourselves. And so we count how many pews we filled and if we're leading a small group, maybe whether we filled our living room. And again, if we're honest, it might be so that we feel good about the impact that we're having, that we're a somebody. But the question is, is our true purpose really that Christ be formed in these people? And the other thing about a project making people a project, is, is that we want it to work. We want it to succeed. And so we can push people, we can pressure people to, to shape up, to clean up their lives so that we can feel good about them. People's lives are messy, right? <laughs> and, and when people sin, they, we, we can feel uneasy and uncomfortable about that fact. After all, we feel responsible for them. We, we want them to look clean cut and nice and neat. Or it will reflect badly on us, like we're condoning their bad behavior. And so we can try to get other people to shape up, not for their good, but so that we can feel better. But Paul will have none of that. What's his purpose? Not power, not projects. Again, it's to see Christ formed in people. Not to see them become more like him, so he can say, look at that. Not to see... Uh, to see them fill up the seats in his class or to hang on his every word and to take lots of good notes, but, but to see them actually become more like Jesus. That's the purpose of spiritual parenting. Let's move on then to the pattern of spiritual parenting. Four things I see in this passage. First is toil, effort. Paul talks about this in verse 10. He talks about his efforts for them. Parenting's hard work, right? It's thankless. It means sometimes sleepless nights, sacrificing what we want for the sake of our kids. Parenting involves toil. Second, it involves pain. Verse 19, Paul compares spiritual parenting to the pains of childbirth. Now, ladies, okay, I get it. He's a guy here. He's got no idea. But here's, hear his point, okay? Paul is really concerned about these Galatians. He cares about them. And so when things don't go well for them, it worries him. It, it weighs on him. It hurts him. It pains him. A spiritual parent isn't there to be served, to, to get backpats and kudos. He or she is there to, to serve, just like Jesus did. And so there's pain in spiritual parenting. Third pattern of spiritual painting, weakness. You know, with all this talk about being parents, it's easy to think we're supposed to know better uh, and that we know what others need. And so it's easy to develop a, a savior complex. And, you know, we're really good at this as Americans. Because we tend to think that we're the greatest country in the world. It's in our national psyche that we're superior than everyone else. We're God's gift to the whole world. And so we think we know what's best for everyone and that we can come and be their saviors. And, and this is called paternalism. 
It's parenting gone to our heads. It, it seems good because it's compassionate, it's humanitarian, but if we're not careful, there can be an arrogance, and there often is an arrogance mixed in. And, and the problem with paternalism is that it disempowers others and it makes them dependent. It, it makes them feel less than us, like they aren't as good, like they don't have anything to offer. It doesn't empower, it disempowers. But that's not how Paul came to the Galatians, is it? Uh, he didn't come as, as the great provider, as, as the one with all the answers. No, Paul did have a message to share. He had spiritual power to offer, but he also came, whoops, <laughs> he also came weak and needy. Paul was sick. He, he, he let the Galatians take care of him. He received their hospitality. And isn't it interesting that, that when Paul, um, or rather when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two in the gospel stories, he said, don't take any food. Don't take any money. Let the people you go to take you in. Go in weakness. Sure, you have good news to share, but go and receive as well. Let this be a two-way street. Let other people have the dignity of helping you, too. My dad learned this when he was dying of cancer. He was a district superintendent, a denominational leader over dozens of churches. And he worked hard for them. He labored for them. He offered them the best of his leadership and his wisdom. But when he was flat on, the on his back, wasting away with, with cancer, many came from these churches to visit him. They encouraged him, they, they prayed for him, they, and I remember um, as people were coming, my dad feeling bad about this and saying, I don't want to be a burden to them, I want to serve them. And I said, no dad, they want to honor you. Let them serve you, it's okay to be weak. You may have as big an impact on them in your weakness as you ever did in your strength. And many of them were very touched and, and blessed by the opportunity to minister to my dad and to, to pray for him and to encourage him and to thank him. And they were deeply impacted and their faith was encouraged and strengthened by the way they saw my dad die. Spiritual parents can be weak. They can be vulnerable. Just like Jesus came to us in weakness and in vulnerability, right? A servant with nowhere to lay his head. Fourth, spiritual parents meet people where they're at. The Jerusalem teachers refused to do this. They said, if you want to be accepted by us, you Galatians must become like us, become Jews, like we are Jews. And, and often we do this too as Christians. If you want to be accepted by us, you come to our church. You come to our turf on our terms where we're comfortable. And while you're at it, clean yourself up. Drop the foul language cover up the tattoos, take out the piercings. Don't say weird, crazy religious stuff that's bad theology. Look like us, dress like us, think like us, clean-cut, middle-class Christians. But this isn't what Paul did. No, Paul pleads with the Galatians in verse 12, become like me, for I became like you. And I think what Paul's saying here is this, Become like me. Rely on God's grace, not on your own works. Depend on Jesus by faith, not on the law. That's how I live. Become like me in that sense. 
do this for me because I became like you. I, even though I'm a Jew, I put aside my culture, my religious scruples to be among you. I ate what you Gentiles served me, even if it wasn't kosher. I accepted your hospitality, even though according to my religion, it would make me unclean. I lived among you. I loved you so that you could know Jesus. I became like you. Isn't that what Jesus did? He came down to us. He didn't stay up in heaven and say, I'm not getting my hands dirty with them. If they really want me, let them make the effort to come and seek me out. No, Jesus left his comfort. Jesus came down among us. He, he lived in the muck and the mire of our existence. He felt the temptations we feel. He experienced the pain that we experience. And that's what spiritual parents do. We go to people and we meet them where they're at. So how about it? You may be no Apostle Paul. I may not be either. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that we have to sit here doing nothing, just being fans. How about getting into the game? Start with Little League, that's fine. But follow Paul's example. Take up his purpose to see Christ formed in people. Follow his pattern of, of hard work, of pain, even till it hurts as you care for others. His pattern of letting yourself be weak. His pattern of meeting people where they're at. That's what happens. That's the kind of spiritual parents we become when the gospel gets a hold of us and impacts us thoroughly. That's what it means to represent Jesus well to people. And that's what we as a church are supposed to be about. Let's pray. God, as we each stop and think about our lives, Many of us have had people who were spiritual parents to us. They were there for us to patiently answer our questions, to teach us about God, to help us understand the Bible, to tell us how they handle different situations, how they pray to God. We observed their lives, and we saw something compelling and attractive and different that we wanted for ourselves. I pray that you would raise us up to be spiritual parenting little league, <laughs> that we can turn around as best as we're able, with your help, with your guidance, through your Holy Spirit, to do the same for others. Amen.